your prayer this morning, do you need God every hour? The answer is yes, you do. But do you realize it? What an amazing gift that is. Well, as you know, we've been studying the book of James. And James' letter that he wrote to the Jewish believers that were scattered around the land. And we're getting into the part of justification. And we talked about it a little bit last week. And I mentioned last week that we were going to talk some more about that justification. And we know the main theme verse of the book of James. It says, now be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And we know that as we look at the book of James, we know that at first glance, James may be appearing to say that we are saved by works. We know that that's not what he is saying because that would be contradictory to the whole of Scripture. So we, in our hearts, we accept that that's not what James is saying. We accept that there, there is a balance between James and the teachings of Paul. We know that, but if you ever really dug into it to understand what that difference is, what the similarities are, and how they're reconciled together, how they're married together. And that's what we want to look at this morning. James says that we are justified by works. What does James mean when he says this? How do we reconcile that with Paul's writings, with Paul's letters? Paul says that we are justified by faith alone. That's what we want to look at this morning, and I alluded to last week that we we're going to try something a little different this morning, and if you saw the post on Facebook, and Josh is up here with me, we're going to, what I term as tag team this this morning, and no, some people were asking if it's going to be like a Ken Ham and Bill Nye debate. No, nothing like that. We're going to present the two teachings of James and Paul. Josh is going to relate primarily Paul's teachings and tie it somewhat back to James. I'm going to relate primarily the teachings of James and tie them into Paul's along with defining what justification is. And then Josh is going to come back up and close us out and put the ribbon on it and put it all together and reconcile it. And I pray that by the time we're done this morning, that by the time God is done this morning, that you not only will believe it just because the Bible says so, but you will understand in your heart why it truly is so and what a blessing it is. So at this time, I want to have a word of prayer with Josh. I'm going to turn the, first, the next part over to him, and then I'll be up in a little while. So. And I just want to say before I go into prayer, you know, we've talked about we've been in this, I've been here for just a little over a year now, and I was so excited when that started to know that I was going to get to know my cousin, my brother in Christ, so much better. And yeah, I do pick on him some. Although this morning I was picking on myself. So. <laughs> but it has been a blessing to work with this young man and to see the, the gift that God has given this young man. And I know you guys all know it. You guys got to watch him grow up more intimately than I got to. But it has been a blessing to work with him this year. And I was just jumped at the opportunity to share the pulpit with him, not only Sunday to Sunday, but on this very morning at the same time. And it, it's just been a blessing to kind of go through this together and and study it and, and compare notes. And yeah, I hope you guys are blessed too. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, God. I thank you, Lord, for my brother Josh. I thank you, Lord, for his willingness to serve. I thank you for the privilege you've given me to serve you and to be a servant of yours in this way, Father. God, we just pray for your guidance this morning as we look at these two 
supposedly separate teachings of Paul and James, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that they're not separate, but they are complementary, Father, and how they come together and how they strengthen each other and how and what they mean to us as Christians, Father. I just pray for your wisdom here this morning, for your words, and for open hearts and minds, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. guess this is the one I'm supposed to use. Uh, Kevin, Kevin said since he's a head pastor, he gets to use the headset. So, <laughs> Yes, and the one with the weaker voice. I didn't want a mic, but they said uh, I'd try it. So, um, Like Kevin said, we're going to be talking about uh, two different points of view this morning on justification. And uh, I'm going to be coming through at, at Paul's view. And we just finished up the book of Galatians when Kevin was going through that. And in the book of Galatians, Paul talks a lot about what he defines justification as. And he just justifies it by saying that justification is by faith alone. And he talks about how uh, having faith in God is enough in order to save you. And if you read any of Paul's writings, he talks a ton about that. Paul is very consistent in every one of his writings. He mentions somewhere in there about justification by faith alone. But then we get into James, like Kevin was saying, and, he, and James is kind of coming at it from a different point. And he's saying that uh, you're justified by your works. And I was talking to people this week, and they were asking me, you know, they saw this different thing about, well, it says both of you guys are preaching. Uh, are you guys debating? And one individual even said, uh, so are you guys just going to go up there and debate, and then at the end we're going to vote who wins, and that's the new head pastor or what? And I said, no, 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 no. Hopefully by the end you guys understand that there's not two different point of views, but like Kevin said, they complement each other. They go hand in hand with each other. Without one, you can't have the other. So hopefully this morning by the time we're done, you guys can understand that. Um, I want to start with a verse that uh, in the book of Romans that Paul writes and uh, like I said, we talked about how Paul's writings, he always says this. It says in uh, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, right there, Paul is telling us about why he believes that justification is by faith alone. Now, if you look in the scripture that we're actually going to be covering in James, James is actually using the story of Abraham. And what I thought was funny, and I was talking to Kevin about this yesterday, most of the time, if you're going to use, if some people are going to be debating, they're going to be talking about two different points. They're going to, I'm going to come at it this way, and Kevin's going to come at it this way. But the thing is with James and Paul here, they both use the same exact example for their, for their reasoning behind it. And if you look in James, they're using the example of Abraham. Okay, all of us know Abraham, all of us know the story of Abraham and how, how he was faithful to God and doing what God had asked him to do. And, but the different thing is, Paul comes at the story in a different point of that story. Paul's talking about this point of the story, and then James comes and talks about a different point of the story. So therefore, it's not an argument either way. So it's not contradicting because it shows in Abraham's life that he was, he did have faith, he did believe. And then another part about talking about his works. And therefore, since he did believe, he had works. So that's what I thought was funny this morning. And the more I read on the Internet and everything, that this actually is 
kind of a big issue. People always talk about, well, does the Bible contradict itself? And you know, you always have those people out there that are always talking about, they're trying to always trip the Bible up, and they're twisting the Scripture, and they want to do anything they can to slam this book here because they know that it's the central base behind what we believe, and we believe that it is straight truth, and we live our lives by it. So they're trying to say, oh, it contradicts itself here, so it's, it's got to be wrong. It doesn't. And that's why this morning, that's what the purpose of this is. Romans 4, verses 1 through 5, this is, what, this is what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now there's two things I want to point out in this particular scripture that Paul is talking about here. And the first part is, it says, if Abraham is justified by his works, and it talks about it in here, it says, let him boast about it, but not before God. If he is truly justified by his works, by his own doing, his effort alone, let him brag about it. Because if we're going to talk about here, and we're going to talk about Abraham being justified by his works alone, then God does not even belong in the picture. It Basically, what it's saying is, if you take that scripture and you look at it that way and you say it's only based on works, then God did absolutely nothing for Abraham's salvation. It was all Abraham. So what he's saying here, if it, if it is based on works by Abraham, let him boast about it. That's his doing. If he wants to, if he wants to say that it was by works alone that he, he was justified, let him go. Because he did everything. God did not do anything. It almost makes us look at the point, what does he, what does he owe to God if Abraham, no, sorry, tongue twisted here. What does he owe to God if what Abraham did is what made him righteous? It's almost like, I did this, God, so you owe me this. You know what I'm saying? Abraham's saying, okay, if, if I do these works here, then God's almost indebted to us to give us salvation. Because we did this, 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 and this. We know that that's not necessarily true. That just because we come to church every Sunday, just because we may give to different charities, just because we may not do uh, these certain bad sins that we put asterisks by all the time, just because we don't do those things, that we look to God and we say, Hey, God, I'm here at church. You know, bring down some salvation. It's not how it works. That's not how it works. But if it was like that, if it was like that, then it would be all upon us. It would be all upon us. If, if salvation was left up to us alone by, based on our works, how many of us in here would say we are going to be saved? If it was based on stri strictly this alone. Some of us may raise our hands, which is good. But here's the thing. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. We'll, we'll, I'm jumping ahead of myself. We'll get into that here in a second. But second, here's the other part of that story that I like. If this is true, then salvation is not a gift. It's not a gift. 
but it's almost an IOU. We, 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 we say all the time that when, when God sent his son down here to earth to die for us, that automatically made us righteous. Because we had sin in our lives because of the stuff that we do wrong. Therefore, any unclean that we, any uncleanliness that we had, which is one sin, one sin makes us unclean. Therefore, we were uh, destined to hell from the beginning. Once you committed that one sin, because there could not be any sin in heaven, and God absolutely hates sin. Absolutely hates sin. I, you know, and people tell me all the time, don't say hate, don't say hate. You know, you're not supposed to hate anybody. But then they say, well, I just strongly dislike them. Okay, whatever. But when talking about God and sin, you can use the word hate. I think we don't. I think sometimes we try to minimize the hatred that God has for sin. And we may think, oh, well, God hates this sin more than he does this sin. God looks at every one of us and sees the sin in our lives, whether we've committed a murder or we've told a little white lie, those sins both deserve the punishment of hell. So therefore, he gives us a gift, a gift, which was his son to come down and die for us, so therefore we didn't have to receive that punishment anymore. That is what it's talking about here. If salvation, and do you truly understand, I think you need to understand what it means by salvation being a gift. We did not do anything to deserve salvation. So whenever you get a gift, a lot of times, I love getting gifts. Gifts are something that just make you happy, and it's like, well, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but yeah, I'll take it. That's kind of what God did here. He sent his son down to give us a gift, a gift of his son, but ultimately a gift of eternal life in heaven. So God does not owe us anything. But then Paul quotes this verse in Genesis fifteen six. And this is what I love because Paul talks about, well, if he did this and he was all works, then how was, how was Abraham saved? And you can kind of start thinking about, oh, well, he, man, so is, is, is Paul saying here that Abraham was not saved? No, look at this verse right here. It says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That word right there, and he believed. He believed in the Lord. He had faith in the Lord. He knew that God was going to take care of him as long as he did what God asked him to do. If he believed that God was almighty, all-powerful, all-everything, then he would prevail. And when Abraham put that faith in God and believed in him, he counted it. God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, let's talk about a couple words here I want to talk about. And the two words I want to talk about are counted and justified. Counted and justified, okay? We see the word counted in this verse right here. And counted means to credit to the account of. To credit to the account of. God, this is, let me draw this picture for you. God fills our empty spiritual bank accounts with his righteousness so that we may be rich, okay? So let's think about this for a second. We are born sinners, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, sin entered the world, and therefore, since we are descendants of them, we are born sinners. There's nothing we can do about it. We are going to sin. That's just the way we are. 
So therefore, our bank accounts are automatically empty because we have no way of being rich or righteous because we have sin in our lives. Therefore, there's no way we can get into heaven with sin. But here's what God does. He counts it. He gives us to the credit of and makes us righteous by filling our bank accounts with righteousness. And how does he do that? He did that by what I was talking about a while ago, by sending his son down to die for us to pay the penalty that we were supposed to pay. And whenever Christ died on that cross, and whenever you accept Jesus into your life and make him your Lord and Savior, you see your bank account shoot up. Spiritual bank account. Nobody go check your bank account and think your money got in there. Okay, spiritual bank account. Shot up, therefore you're considered rich and righteous, and you are allowed into the gates of heaven because you have Jesus in your heart. Paul reminds us that Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that he that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I want to talk about that for a little bit because we sometimes say we believe. And we say that Jesus is in our hearts and we say that Jesus is truly our Lord and Savior. But listen to what, this is what Paul considered to be fully counted as righteousness. This is what he says here. He said, Abraham grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Okay, so growing strong in faith, what does that mean? It means being fully assured that what he had promised, God was going to prevail in. Do you have faith this morning? If you have faith this morning, then you truly understand that God is going to work everything for your good. It says that in Romans. And if when you have faith, you fully put your trust in God, in the mountains and in the valleys, you are never shaken in your faith. Your faith, every time. You may get to a point where you think, oh, my goodness, God, this is, this is, this is rough. This is probably the roughest time of my life. I've been there. But my faith remains strong. Because then he goes on here and says, giving glory to God. Abraham gave glory to God. In those times where you are struggling, in those times where you are failing, are you giving glory to God? Because that's what we're supposed to do. And Abraham was doing this, therefore committed, he was committed as righteous before God. And what does justified mean? Justified means to be cleared of blame. This is a result of being counted as righteous. When you are counted as righteous, the blame is taking off of your shoulders. Because the sin that you were committing, like I said a million times, the gospel, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you, because he did that, the the slate is wiped clean. You are now considered righteous. There is no blame in you because your sin has been paid for. Your sin yesterday, your sin today, and your sin tomorrow was all paid for on that cross by Jesus Christ. That means our works have nothing to do with our salvation. Now, before, I, before you start taking that and you start running with it and saying, oh, I only have to have faith and then I don't have to do anything else because works have nothing to do with it. No. And I will point that out here in a second about where our works do come in. But it was God that made us righteous and it was God that made us saved. It's nothing that we did. It's nothing that we do. But it is God who makes us righteous. Righteous. 
Here's God's view on people. God sees people in two different ways. He looks at you and he either sees innocent or guilty. Okay? If you commit only one sin, one sin, you are considered guilty. No matter how much good you do. Can we bring that PowerPoint up, Mary Jo? He told me not to say it, but I'm going to give him credit anyways. This is from our head elder, Alex Knepp. All right? He's, he's getting all nervous and everything. I'm sorry, Alex, but I had to. I can't take credit for this. This PowerPoint, he sent it to me and said this may fit in. Well, it fits perfect with what I'm about to say, okay? When you are considered guilty, it is by one sin, okay? Go to the next slide, okay? Most people just hope that the good, next, okay? Go being nice to people, going to church, not committing big sins, uh, giving money to the church, reading your Bible, pray. Most people hope that the good on that side outweighs the bad. Lying, cursing, cheating, stealing, unkind, selfishness. We think that if we can have more in one category than in the other category, then we're fine. But here's the problem. The problem is one bad lying can erase all the good that you did in your life. Do you understand that this morning? That you can be the best person in your entire life and you commit one sin... You commit one sin, and you're considered guilty, and you're considered to be punished. Because sin, God hates sin that much. But luckily, the right good, Christ, can wipe away all the bad. If you have Christ in your life, and you are focusing on that good part of your life, then there is no sin That is unforgivable by God. Because Christ's blood, Christ walked this earth and lived a perfect life free of sin. So he was the ultimate sacrifice. So then whenever he died on that cross, like we sang this morning, he stretched his arms out on that cross. That one good that was given to us and we accepted it into our life wipes away all the bad that has ever happened. Does that mean we never sin once we commit commit our lives over to the Lord? No. That means that we are focusing on God and that God has already forgiven us for our sins. But now, where do works fall in the picture? Okay? We've got Christ as the good. And if you have Christ in your life, the works are evidence of Christ in us. If you truly have Christ in your heart and you are truly living a life for God, this is what's going to happen. You are going to have those in your life, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. People are going to notice that. If you're living your life and people don't notice these things in your life, you need to to ask, am I really living for God? Is God really guiding my life? Is God really in the center of my heart? Because if you have that one good, that is how it works. I think that's the last slide, isn't it? No. Okay. You can't have this. This is a good point, too. You can't have this without an increasing supply of those. You can't have God living in your life without those living there. Now, that may be hard for some of us to understand because some of us come in here this morning, and I don't mean to step on toes here, but this needs to be heard because I lived a lot of my life like this. Some of us come in here this morning thinking that we have Christ in our lives and we're thinking that we're saved because we come to church and we we do all these other good things that we're up here on the board. We pray, we read our Bible, we do all that stuff. But if you do not have these, 
in your life, we need to step back and question our salvation a little bit. We need to understand if we're fully grasping what God has for us. If God is the center of your life and you're living for Christ, these are evidence. These are not something that you're going to have to work on, but they will pour out of you because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. If you are saturating yourself with His Word, saturating yourself with prayer, saturating yourself with fellow believers that are here, these things will pour out of you and people can see that you are a light for Christ. I have some scripture I want to read. At the end here, and I'll turn it over to Kevin. Galatians 3.22 says, But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That shows us that there is one hope, and that is God's mercy. Because we can do all the good things we want because that one bad is going to mess us up. But God's mercy says, it's fine. I've got you. The next verse I want to read, Titus 3, 5, said, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit living inside of us is what washes us new. It's what makes us living for Christ. Galatians 2, 21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do we understand that this morning? If righteousness were given to us by following the law, then why did Christ die? There's no reason. There's no reason. But because we are born sinners and we cannot ever perfect the law, perfect ourselves, and we will never be able to live a life like Jesus and live a life free of sin, but because we cannot do that... Christ died for us, and that he died for a purpose, and that purpose is sitting in here today. All of us sitting in here is the reason why Christ died on that cross. Now, I have, I've talked hard on the salvation by faith, and Kevin's going to come up here and talk about uh, where the works fall in, and I hope that you can see that both tie in, and hopefully at the end, like Kevin said, I can put a big bow on it, and you guys can leave here understanding that they complement each other. Well, I want to start with one point and point out specifically that James clearly agrees with Paul on one point in Scripture. James chapter 2, verse 10. For, who, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And you know, we talked about that verse a couple weeks ago. And it's important to remember that. And Josh hit that very well. And that's the point that we can't be good enough. So then wait a minute, why does James say that we're justified by works? So that means we still have a problem. We have to reconcile this. If we're not justified by our works according to Paul, but according to James we are, how, how do you reconcile this? Why does James appear to contradict Paul when you read the Scripture word for word? He says that we're justified by works and not by faith alone. That's not what Paul says. James chapter 2, verse 20, starting in verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. 
and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, we have an apparent problem, don't we? And this is the big discussion. This is the debate. As Josh said, you look on the internet and there's this big debate. There was even fathers of the faith in history who contemplated kicking James out of the canon, kicking James out of the Bible, because they just couldn't reconcile it themselves. So how do we reconcile it? What do we do with this? Again, Paul says that we're justified by faith. James says that we're justified by works. Again, our contradiction. This contradiction could send us into a panic. And Josh so well pointed out, people like to use contradiction, apparent contradictions like this in Scripture to say, see, your Bible, your Bible that you put all your trust in, we don't put our trust in the Bible, we put our trust in the one who wrote the Bible. But this Bible that you so-called Christians put your trust in contradicts itself and it invalidates your entire faith. That's the argument they would like to pose to us, isn't it? Well, as we look at this, we have to ask ourselves, is there a possibility of a reconciliation between these two things? And as I said this morning, all Scripture is God-breathed. We know that. We believe that as Christians. So that means all Scripture. There has to be a possibility of how to reconcile this difference, doesn't there? And the reality is that not all statements that appear to contradict each other actually do. Well, the first question I ask myself as I look at these verses, is it two different Greek words? Are we looking at two different words? You know, that would be an easy way to explain it away and to describe it. And the answer is no, it's not. The word translated justified in Romans 4 and in James chapter 2 is the same Greek word. The reality is what we have is one word with two different meanings. You say, now how does that work, Kevin? Well, let's bring it to a modern and contemporary example. What do you think of when you think of the word right? Well, first thing you ask is, which right do you mean? Do you mean W-R-I-T-E or R-I-G-H-T? And for purpose of this point this morning, we're going to use the word R-I-G-H-T. Okay, when you think of that word right, what do you think of? Do you think of right and left? Or do you think of right and wrong? It depends on the context, doesn't it? It depends on the context of the conversation of the writing that you're looking at of what that word means, doesn't it? It could be a right turn, or it could be a right answer. That word has two different meanings. And yes, I'm sure you've heard the discussion before the English language can be a little confusing. And it can. But the reality is, it's not only in English. In the Greek language, there were words that meant two different things depending on the context that they were used in. The word justified in our text this morning is no different. The reality is it has two definitions. The first is to absolve, to declare free of blame. And that's the definition that Josh gave us as he defined those words in, that scri- in Paul's scripture this morning. We are, by Paul's description, we are declared free of blame. Not because of anything we did, but because of that amazing gift 
that Josh talked about. We are declared free of blame. We are declared righteous in God's eyes because of the gift of salvation. The second definition is to demonstrate or prove to be just. To demonstrate that we are just. To demonstrate that we are righteous. To show that we are well-founded. That we have a faith, basically. You see, in the case of salvation, the first definition is the cause. That declaration is the cause. The second definition is the effect, the demonstration. The second definition, if you think about it in English terms today, is the more common use of that word in our English language outside of Scripture. How many times have you heard someone make a point and someone says, well, how do you justify that? How do you explain that? How can you help me understand your perspective, your position on that? How can you prove it? How can you justify your actions? How can you convince me that what you did was right? How can you justify it? How can you demonstrate that it was right? We say, demonstrate. Show me why it is, why it is so what you told me it was. Jesus also used this word justification in the Bible in this manner, in a means of demonstrating. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 36, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. These words bear testimony of the inner man. This is again the same Greek word that is used in Paul's text and the same Greek word that is used in James' text for the English word justification or justified. Jesus is saying that we are justified by our words. We have a problem. If Jesus is saying that we are justified, declared righteous by our words, we are in trouble, aren't we? But in context, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying our words demonstrate the fact that we are saved, the fact that we do believe. And as Josh pointed out, no, we're not always going to say the perfect words. Often, unfortunately, we're going to say some hurtful words. We're going to say some sinful words. So again, if we were justified in the sense of Paul's definition, we would be in big trouble. So now we have a question. Which definition did James have in mind? How do we know that James is not referring to salvation as Paul was, as Paul is in his writings? How do we determine in context what James means by justified? How do we realize, how do we explain that James is actually pointing to the proof of salvation, to the demonstration of the fact that we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Paul's justification is the cause, the declaration. James is the effect. The cause must come before the effect. 
Salvation must come first before the works can be realized in our lives. Before it can be evidenced in a changed heart and a changed life. Paul, as Josh pointed out, in this text, I mean James, I'm sorry, referenced in this text the story of Abraham, and so did Paul in his text. Paul referenced it at a different point in Abraham's life. As Josh pointed out, it was in Genesis chapter 15. It says, "From from what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The justification that James referred to comes much later in the account of Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. I know you have demonstrated that you fear God. Abraham bound his son, laid him in an altar, raised a knife in the air and was prepared to bring it down on his son. And God stopped him and said, Now I know by your actions, I know by your works, that this salvation that you believed in and put your trust in, back in chapter 15 of Genesis, I see it, I realize it, I know that you have it by your works. He says, Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, Abraham's actions justified his faith. They demonstrated his faith. Paul and James, as Josh said, are looking at two completely different times in Abraham's life. Two events that were actually separated by 25 years. They're not talking about the same thing. The works of Abraham that James mentions were a result of justification which came by faith a quarter of a century earlier. Abraham was not being saved again by his works. He was demonstrating the fact that he would receive salvation by faith 25 years earlier. He was being confirmed in the justification by faith that had been accomplished 25 years earlier. James chapter 2, verse 23 again. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 25. He says, James gives another example. He says, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified? by works when she received the messengers and set them out by another way did she not demonstrate her faith she wasn't declared righteous by doing that she demonstrated the fact that she had a faith in Jesus Christ by the actions she performed James chapter 2 verse 14 what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works Can that faith save him? Remember we talked about that last time. That faith, the different kinds of faith. A faith without works is not a faith at all. Looking at a different writer in the New Testament completely to make the point. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't act like it is a liar, and the truth is not in them. James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Do you understand the difference between the two? Do you understand the emphasis that James is putting in this letter? He is not denying that our saving faith is by faith alone. That our saving justification is not by faith alone. He's not denying that at all. He's saying that if you have that, it will be seen. And the reality is, your works won't be laborsome. They will be free-flowing and naturally flowing out of a heart that has changed. At this time, I want to invite Josh to come back up. And I want to ask you, how in your mind have you tied Paul and James together this morning? Do you understand why you believe what you believe, why you do truly understand that Scripture is true and does not contradict itself. Do you understand that this morning? Could, would you be, feel equipped to explain to someone why your Bible, the Bible that has brought, God has brought you the truth through, why you know in your heart that it doesn't contradict itself? I pray that you do. At this time, I want to turn it over to Josh to close us out. And what a beautiful, beautiful message that God have us and what a beautiful gift He's given us, not only in justification by faith, but in justification, justification by works, the privilege that we have to work out our faith. What an amazing gift that is. Ephesians 2, you have that verse, Job. says, For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we are justified by faith and we have accepted Jesus into our lives, then we are created in Christ, which we are to do the works that he has prepared for us. What me and Kevin talked about here this morning are not contradicting ideas, but they're basically two sides of the same coin. They don't contradict each other, but they complement each other. You can't have one without the other. Paul says, this is what saving faith looks like, or this is what saving faith is. James says, this is what saving faith looks like. This morning, have you embraced the saving faith that Paul talks about? Have you accepted Jesus into your life and have been justified, have been cleared blame of the sins that you have committed in your life. If you don't get anything here this morning, I want you to hear this. Do not leave here this morning without talking to somebody about that faith that Paul and James are talking about. That faith that that saves us. That faith that is so evident in our lives that it shines through us. That we should receive the love that God gives us and the love that we have is so overflowing. God's love is so overflowing for us that it pours out and people can see it. How do they see it? By the works that we do. This morning, we need to embrace the faith that Paul talks about.
and we need to demonstrate the faith that James talks about. We can't be one or the other. We have to be both. And like Kevin said, I hope this morning that we could kind of clear up the issues that maybe some of us may have been struggling with about, well, this says this and this says this. They had the same focus in mind the entire time. And that focus was to bring glory to God in both senses that they were talking about. We are saved, so let's start acting like it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you just now, Lord, and we just thank you for this morning, this morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that we had to dig into your word, Father God, and not not just skim the surface and not just see verses that maybe make us feel good and the verses that we may just take and we say, oh, that's good. But what we did this morning, Lord, is we dug deep and we started looking at really what you're trying to tell us, Lord. And this morning, Lord, we thank you for the message that Paul brings, the message of uh, salvation through you. Salvation through the, your, the son that you sent down on earth, the son that came and lived a perfect life, the son that came and died a miserable, horrible death. A death that was supposed to be for us that are sitting in this room today, but your son took that from us. And when he did that, he filled our spiritual banks so that therefore when you look at us, you see your son's blood. You see us as righteous. And therefore, we can be saved through you. And Lord, we thank you for what James says. Lord, we thank you that James tells us that if we truly have that faith that we so proudly proclaim, that we should be able to see it. It should not just be from the words that come through our mouth, but through our actions. That we should demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit that you talk about, Father God. Lord, that we start loving people the way that you love people. That we start diligently serving people the way that you serve people. And Lord, that we start showing patience the way that you show with us. And we show forgiveness of the things that people have done wrong to us that you showed us. Lord, I just pray this morning that people can start seeing that faith that is demonstrated out in our lives. And that because we demonstrate that faith outwardly, Father, that more people will be led to you. Because that is our purpose here on earth, Lord, is to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we leave here that we understand that we are justified by faith. And through that, we are justified by our works. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.